One of the things we said last week is, is we want to celebrate marriages, and so just uh, wanted to do that, and, and, and I love just seeing the years, and I know some of you guys put like 1.5 years, or two, and I love that, it's cool, and, and you're always looking ahead to that next, and, and that's awesome, um, but we wanted to do that this morning, and as we continue over the next uh, few weeks to talk about uh, marriage, and um, as we do today, I, I do want to, in a very celebratory way, um, because marriage is something that should be celebrated. Uh, often in, in our day, it, it is not something that is celebrated, and so um, I, I, I love that we can celebrate in that way this morning. Um, as believers, as followers of Christ, you and I are called to go upstream. That's our calling. Uh, that, that we go against the culture. The culture is, is pushing uh, things down the river daily. That, that go against truth, that go against um, what we as believers hold dear and believe in. And one of those things is, is marriage. And so you and I are called to go upstream, to um, live according to the Word of God daily. And, and sometimes it's hard in our day. Um, as the culture is seeking to redefine marriage, uh, how it views marriage, how it views sexuality, even how it views gender, uh, it really becomes an attack against God, an attack against the family, attack against the sanctity of marriage, attack against the home and what God had designed it uh, to be. Um, and so as we talked about last week, it's so key, so vital that, that you and I understand what God has designed marriage to be, what he has defined marriage to be, its purpose to display his, his glory as we saw last week because the culture has a different belief. It has a different understanding of marriage. In fact, Chris Rock questioned one time this, and he has said this, and this has kind of been an expression of our culture and where we're kind of at today. But Chris Rock said this. He says, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? Yeah, we read that and we're like, excuse me? <laughs> excuse me? But, but his question um, really has been an expression of really what we see in our culture today. And Rock is obviously wrong about that. I hate his question. I hate what he was implying. Uh, but that question implies a lot today. Um, driving the belief of Rock's statement is that most people, if uh, over a half of people in our world today would say that they're unhappy in their marriages. And there's a reason why that we'll get to in a bit of why they say that. Um, but that expression is why many bail on their marriages. Um, the stats, you know them. We've heard them before. 50% of marriages end in divorce today. Um, and so what we see today is this trend. We see a trend where, where people don't get married um, and they don't want to be single. So what they do is they look for that in-between. And so what they find is they'll have these uh, sexual encounters or this cohabitation with a partner. And so many are choosing to live together, and, and especially before marriage. Some are doing that to improve their chances, they think, in marriage uh, maybe they've had seen marriage failures of, of their own or uh, of others, and they're like, hey, listen, you know what? We're going to live together to see if we're compatible, to see if there's, there's chemistry. And the practice of that has grown. 50% of people live together before they get married. 
In fact, 25% of all unmarried women between the ages of 25 to 39 are currently living with a partner. And by their late 30s, 60% of unmarried women will have done so. And so the reality is that there are many today seeking that in-between of marriage and singlehood and trying to do it a, a different way. It seems to be the trend. The reality is, is those who live together, though, before marriage, um, often that marriage fails. It fails. And so the test of compatibility and chemistry, it's wrong. It doesn't work. And so the cultural belief today on marriage goes against the traditional history of what the church what Christians, what we have believed, and what has been really kind of the, the bedrock and the foundation of the Western world. But around the 18th and 19th century, the Enlightenment came in, where Christians believed that marriage is good, it's desirable between a man and a woman. Uh, it's given by God, not only to Christians, but really to all humanity, bringing male and female into this binding partnership. Um, not only for them, but to create also this social stability in which children would grow and thrive in this family. But as the Enlightenment came in around the 18th and 19th century, as we've learned in our history classes before, things begin to shift, things begin to change. And as the meaning of life came to be seen as the fruit of the freedom of the individual, to choose the life that most fulfills him or personally uh, fulfills them. Instead of meaning through self-denial, through giving up of one's freedoms and binding oneself to the duties of marriage and family, marriage was now redefined as finding emotional, sexual fulfillment, and self-actualization as what they sought after. So marriage was seen merely as this contract. It become that between two parties for their individual growth and their individual satisfaction. And that's how Western culture has changed. In fact, Timothy Keller in his book on the meaning of marriage writes this, that the Enlightenment has privatized marriage, taking it out of the public sphere. It has redefined it, its purpose as individual gratification. Not any broader good such as reflecting God's nature or producing character or even with the goal of raising children. And so this has become the understanding of Western culture. And the problem lies in this. Real simply, if we were to define what's the problem, is that marriage is no longer seen as something about us. But now it's about me. It's about me. That's the culture shift. Marriage no longer, as a husband and wife, is about us, but the cultural shift is now, it's about me. It's about me. So what's the solution? What's the solution? I think Paul answers that in the text that Jerry read for us. A lot there. We're not going to look at the entirety of it this morning. But Paul calls it a mystery or a secret is another idea of that word. And so today, here's what I want to do. I want to look at just four things in our time together, okay? Tell the answer, what, what, what's the solution? What, what's the call of us to go upstream against the cultural flow and to redefine, to, to, to really get back as a, as a society, but, but really as a, as a people, to understand what does God want? What is his definition? What's his design for marriage? What's his call for it? 
And so look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me if you would, and we're going to look at the secret. What is it really? What's the secret? What, what is the secret to marriage? And, and then second, what's the power behind that secret? Because that's huge, especially when we learn what the secret is. But then thirdly, what causes the secret to fail? And then fourth, what causes the secret instead to shine? Right? And so look what Paul writes here. We saw this last week, and so I want to start from the end and kind of work our way up. And we're going to do some dancing this morning through this text. But look at Ephesians chapter 5, 31 through 32. As we saw last week, Paul says this. He says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. And so here's God uh, back in Genesis 2, Paul's quoting it here in Ephesians 5, defining marriage. That God's the designer of it. He's the creator of it. And so this is marriage, this one flesh relationship where a female, the wife, comes together, the, the, hu- the husband, the male, comes together, and they create a family. And they're married in this union together. And then look at verse 32. This mystery is great. And so Paul has just talked about marriage. He says this mystery is great. So he says something about marriage that's a mystery, that's a secret. So we we talked about this last week. And so the idea of a secret, though, this word mystery kind of leads to that. It's not this idea of, shh, don't tell anybody type of secret. Instead, it's it's something that, that, that through marriage is to let... Uh, others know. It's, it's something that's to be revealed. And so what is that? He says, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. And so as we, we learned last week, and Paul had this idea that marriage, that this, this secret, this, this mystery is a wonderful truth that's to be revealed. And so marriage, as we said, is, is like a telescope bringing the reality of God, of, of Jesus and his relationship to the church, what he did for the church, to the mind of others as it magnifies, yes, his beauty, his goodness, his worth and truth. And we're to let the world know that through this beautiful relationship of marriage. But what's the secret to that? What's, what's the secret? What makes that happen? What puts on display Jesus and the church through Marriage, because Paul says it's a certain type of marriage. It's not just any marriage. I mean, God has a goal with marriage. He'd loved all marriages to, to do this, to put Jesus on display. And he had that in mind back in Genesis 2. He had in mind the cross. He had in mind the gospel. He had in mind Jesus, no doubt, no doubt. But what type of marriage does that? What type of marriage does he have in mind here? Because yes, the secret is that, yes, marriage puts on display this relationship between Christ and the church. So yeah, that's secret, but how is this seen? How is this revealed? How is this lived out? And I think it's, it's real simply the, the secret to marriage. And so look at Ephesians 5, 25, go up some, and he kind of explains, he unfolds what he has an idea here, how this this how marriage is a great mystery that is to be revealed through this to the world so that they will know more of Jesus and how he loved the church. So look what he says here. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. He gave himself up for her. Why? So that he might sanctify her 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And so you see how Paul is talking about God's purpose for his body, the church. And then he says, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who... uh, uh, he who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And so here's Paul. He calls husbands to love their wives just as Jesus has loved the church. And so the secret here is not just marriage itself, but the message is that What husbands should do for their wives is what Jesus did to bring us into union with him. That's the message. That's the secret. That husbands should love their wives just as Jesus has loved us to bring us into union with him. And so how did he do that? How do we do that? What what does he have in mind here of, of us loving our wives, husbands, as Jesus loved the church? And just a couple of thoughts on that. I think the first thing is that Jesus gave himself up for us. I'm reminded of that in Philippians chapter 2 as we read in verse 3 of Paul's writing. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Can we just stop there for a second? So you see how just this goes against the cultural flow. Where culture is about me, my interests, my fulfillment, my satisfaction. So Paul's saying here, no, that's not supposed to be our attitude. It's not supposed to be the way we think and the way we live. But instead, we look at our model, he says in verse 5 of Philippians 2.5, having this attitude in yourself, which was also in Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or hold on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient to the point of death. Yes, even death on a cross. And and so what is Paul saying here in Ephesians? He's telling us, he's communicating to us to to do nothing from selfishness, but instead to to look at Jesus and to see how he was selfless, that that he gave himself up, that he laid his own life down. He had equality with the Father, the glory in heaven. Instead, though, of holding on to that, he took on human nature. He became a servant willingly went to the cross, paid for our sins, removed our guilt and our condemnation so that we could be united with him and take on his nature. That's what Jesus did. He became a servant. He died to his own interest. He looked to our needs instead. In fact, Romans 15 tells us in verse one through three, along the same lines, it says, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses or the failures of those without strength and not just please ourselves, Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his building up, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And so Jesus' sacrificial love, his service to us, has brought us into this deep union with him and he with us. And what Paul is saying here, this is the key, the gospel. 
It's the key to, to not only understanding marriage this morning, but it's the key to living it. And so Paul calls us to that, specifically to husbands, to love our wives as Christ loves the church. But really, he's called us all to that, to look at Jesus in his model, that he gave himself up, that he became a servant. It's a call of all disciples. And I think Paul has that in mind here. And look at verse 21 as he talks about the church, as he talks about disciples. He says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. When we hear that phrase or that, that word, be subject, or the word submission, uh, many of us cringe. We don't like that. Maybe it, it takes on a negative connotation at times. And sometimes in our culture, it, it has, and we don't like that. But this is a beautiful thing that, that, that Paul is talking about. It's a beautiful thing that God longed for us as disciples to be subject to one another, to, to submit ourselves to one another. And so this word here is an interesting word that he uses. It's a, it's a funny word kind of in Greek. It's hupa. Tasso, it's, it's an interesting word, but what does it mean? What does it carry as a meaning for us? It, it speaks of soldiers that would array themselves in this military order under a commanding officer. And so they would put themselves under that person's authority to obey them. It's to line oneself up under another. According, what Paul would say, to your proper authority. You would respond this way. And so what Paul is saying here is that this, as believers, is something you and I should do. We should lay down our rights for the sake of others. We should lay down our will for the sake of others. Now, saying that in our world and our culture today does not roll well. I mean, we fight for rights, right? Goodness, we fight for animal rights. People make that their life calling, right? I like animals. Gosh, not that much. Um, should I say that? Maybe not. All right. Because I think I just totally ended uh, some, some, I don't know, or I'm going to get emails. But anyway, I mean, some people, that's, we, we make all our life about rights and rights and rights and rights and rights. And, and I, I, I understand that on, on some grounds. But some of us, the, the things that people stand for, it's like, man, my goodness. And so the scripture is telling us here that, hey, listen, I, I think what we're called to is, is creator rights creator rights. And he makes the call, right? And I think many times we struggle with that. I mean, I think we all do personally and individually. We want, we want our rights. We want our rights. But he calls us here to this, this submission, that we're to be subject to one another. It's, it's the idea of godliness. It's the idea of Christ-likeness. It's, it's the idea that I'm not going to advance myself above the, other, the needs of others or the interest of others. It's like Paul said, I'm putting their interest above my own. And so he calls us all to, to live that way. We're called to that, to, to serve one another as disciples. And, and, and you might say, well, well, why do you share that? You just talked about husbands loving your wives as, as Christ loved the church. Well, because I think he's called us all as husbands and wife to, to love one another as disciples, to serve one another, to, to as Jesus modeled to us, to wash one another's feet. And, and so we got to get this, this me-ism out because, oh man, it's, it's so easy to go there. So easy to go there. 
And then look what he says in, in verse 22, or verse 5. He calls the wives specifically. And he says, wives, be subject also. Or excuse me, to, uh, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And so we, we haven't even mentioned specific roles yet. Um, but I want you to hear, I, I want to mention in just a second, but before we do, I want you to hear this. Where, where do we start with this secret to marriage is the gospel. And so I, I don't want you to forget that as we move on to this idea because he's going to start implying some things here. He's going to start speaking of, of some specific roles But I want you to understand, we've got to start with the gospel. Doing for our spouse what God did for us in Jesus. He modeled it for us. And so may it be revealed also in our marriage. And so he says right here, he's just told the husbands, love your wife like Jesus loves the church. He tells wives here, be subject. And so he uses this word again to your own husband as to the Lord. That's a key phrase there. As to the Lord, that we would worship the Lord, we would honor the Lord by willfully coming up under the leadership and the head of our husbands, as he mentions in 23. And so he starts to mention this role, and he mentions a role that husbands have. And so I want you to hear this real simply this morning. We're going to spend a lot of time on this, but, but I want you to see, so, so how do I as a husband, and how does my wife, Annette, how do we express the gospel according to, to the roles that God has given us with, within marriage. How do we express that? How are we called to express that? Because he mentions here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, that the, the husband is the head. So what does that mean? With an idea of the gospel in mind as we're to serve and love one another graciously and with a sacrificial love just as Christ has loved us, what does that look like? I think... Real simply, as he talks about the head here, it's the idea that he's to lead, that he's to take initiative, right? He's to lead out in this sacrificial love, to be Christ-like, to willingly give up his rights to love his wife. He's to be selfless. He's to be a servant leadership that defines his role. He is to be her covering. And we get, kind of get that language in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, he protects her. He provides for her. He nourishes. He, he cherishes her. And this is this continual, habitual action of, of giving, expecting nothing in return kind of love. I love how John Piper, he speaks of this role of husbands, and he says this in just one statement. He says, husbands, we have a divine calling to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership for protection and provision in our home. We're to lead on that as the head, to lovingly care for our family and especially our wives, just as Christ did the church. And so I want to just briefly touch that this morning because as, as we look at the gospel, as we look at our roles as husbands, that is how we're to lead out in our leadership as the head. And what does he say right here about wives? Because he's just said, wives, be subject to your own husbands. He doesn't specifically speak of the role here. I think he speaks of, of how we're to respond according to the roles that he's given us. I think we have to 
Go back to Genesis 2.18 to help us define the role specifically of a wife to a husband where he calls uh, um, a wife a suitable helper. That, that corresponding strength in this complementary relationship um, and her response to her husband as, as helper to the head is this, be subject to your own husband, he says here, in everything down in verse 24. And not only that, in verse 33, he calls wives to respect their husbands. And so this is what the gospel looks like, lived out for the wife toward their husband. John Piper gives us a summation of this role too, where he says wives have this divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership, to help carry it through according to her gifts. You hear both these roles. What is it, where does it start? It starts with the gospel. It starts with an understanding of the gospel and to love like Jesus. I was reading this last night or yesterday afternoon Again, and just thinking through how to communicate this. And, and I got down to a verse I was reminded of when Paul's letter to the church in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. And, and I was like, man, how could you sum up the secret to marriage? Because there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff there. But how would you just sum this up? And, and, and I read that and I think, you know what? The key is dying daily, <laughs> right? That's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He says, I die daily. I die daily. As disciples, we're to lay our lives down, be crucified with Christ daily. And as husbands and wives, that is our calling. That's what Christ modeled to us, that he willingly gave up his life, became a servant for us. And that's the secret to marriage. That's what he's called us to. Now, real quickly this morning, I want to give you these next three things because I think this is key, because we hear this and we think, okay, that's not easy, right? We hear that and, and we think, man, I, if, if we're listening to some of those things, I'm like, I, I don't do well in that. I, I fall short of, of really putting my needs before um, my spouse's needs. I, I don't do that well. I, I struggle with, with things. And we all would say, yes, I do that. So naturally, this doesn't come to us that easy. And so what's the power behind the secret? And I think Paul gives it to us. And go back a few verses and look what he says in chapter 5, verse 18. He calls us, he commands us with something specifically here. He says in verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or wasteful living or foolishness, but be filled with the Spirit. I mean, we don't like to hear it sometimes, be subject to one another or submit to one another. We don't like to hear those things sometimes, so some of these things go against what we, we, we wanna do. But yet, God calls us to do these things, so what is the secret power to help us to love others, to put the interest of others before our own, and especially our spouses? And he says right here, it's the Holy Spirit. That's the key power, that's the key. He says, don't get drunk with wine. Don't, don't let drunk have this control, or the, excuse me, wine have this controlling influence over you. But instead, let the Holy Spirit have that kind of influence and kind of control over you. As believers, we're never empty of the Holy Spirit, but what Paul is commanding us of here is to be filled with the Spirit. 
I think real simply what that means is to continue daily to trust Jesus and to obey Jesus. I think real simply, if you were to say, how am I filled with the Holy Spirit? I think that's it. That I, that I trust Jesus and I obey Jesus as the word of God directs me. And so how does that work throughout the day? How does the Holy Spirit work in our life as believers? I remind you what Jesus said when he was here on earth, when he told his disciples about the Spirit. He told us in John 14, 17, that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And we need that truth. Because remember, the culture has given us a bunch of lies, a lot of falsehoods, misguiding us. And so what is the truth, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And so listen to John 14, 26. He says, the Holy Spirit is the helper, the spirit of truth, who will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I said. And then in John 16, 15, all things that the Father has are mine, Jesus says. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine, and he makes it known, or he discloses it to you. So that amazing what the Holy Spirit does is he takes the truth about Jesus. He takes the truth of God's word and he makes it clear to our minds and to our hearts the reality of that truth so that it would change us. Whether we're sitting in a service like this, we're hearing the word of God or we're sitting on our own and reading the word of God or whether it's throughout the day and especially throughout the day as we're at different things at work, uh, hanging out with different people. The Holy Spirit who's in us as believers brings to remembrance the word of God, the truth of God. And this is important. This is vital. You might be saying, well, how does this connect to marriage? Well, well look what he does, Ephesians 5. I mean, he rolls down here through verse 19 and, and verse 20, and he's talking about this community uh, of disciples, of, of believers. And then he goes in verse 21 that we're to serve one another, and then he rolls right into marriage. And so how are we to, to serve one another and to love one another like Jesus? And he says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the key to living out the secret of being loving and respecting spouses. It's being filled with the Spirit of God. Now, honestly, we can run low at times, right? Where we feel like, man, the, the little, um, the gas tank has got that yellow light or that red light. And we're just, we're running on fumes. Because of things we're running to, kids', kids schedules, or the calendar's just full of stuff, and work's busy, and you name it, we can run low, run low. A few weeks ago, I, or a couple weeks ago, I, I, I had dinner with my brother, my family, and, and their family, and we, we got to hang out over pizza, and we went to my brother's car to give him some stuff, and I looked on the top of my brother's car, and um, he, he had this huge tank, like uh, full of stuff on the top of his car, and he had it strapped down. It looked like, you know, like he was preparing to go to war or something. I was like, I said, hey, what, what is that? And he goes, it's gas. Like, no big deal, it's gas. I'm like, this is so my brother. And I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah. I was like, what, what, are you, what is that? He's like, he says, man, I don't want to drive into San Antonio. They just come from Oklahoma from a funeral. He said, I don't want to drive into San Antonio and have to mess with gas stations right now. We, we've been waiting a couple hours for gas down there. This is all when, after Hurricane Harvey went through. And he had just this tank. And he said, man, I just don't want to risk going on empty and having to mess with that with, with my kids in the car. I just don't want, to, don't want to mess with that. 
It, it, and that's what happens a lot of times in our life. We, we can get close to running on empty. We feel like, man, we, we just can't do this anymore. And so, so significant is, is that you and I, we, we know what to do when we get to that point. We, we know what we need so we don't run on empty. We, we need time in the word. We, we need time of worship, time of prayer, to where we can get refueled. And some can, can get in trouble by looking to their spouses to, to fill up their tanks in a way that, that only God can. And that's impossible. That's, that's wrong. And so be filled with the power of the Spirit to serve and love your spouse as Jesus has served and loved you. And so that means taking time to fill your tank up, to have that margin, to have that time with, with the Lord so that you can be led by his Spirit. And so how does this fail, though? Because this can totally fail. How can this secret fail? And I think real simply, we, we know it, it's self-centeredness, right? It's self. That's how it fails. It, it will disrupt the whole flow of serving and loving in our marriages, is self-centeredness. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, listen to what Paul says. He says, love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, it does not brag, it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it does not take account a wrong suffer. You see where, how he defines this love? You see, often in marriage, what, what can happen a lot of times is we can get in this, this crazy cycle of a husband reacting without selfless love and being selfish instead. And then what, what starts happening is, is the wife starts reacting without selfless respect. I mean, just that, that crazy cycle can happen. But what Paul is saying is like, no, we're, we're to motivate each other. Husbands loving selflessly are our wives. And then what happens is the cycle happens where, where wives start responding to their husbands with this selfless respect, and it just goes on and on. It just flows. It's just a cycle. And that's what Paul says here. That's the type of love we're to have. That's the type of love Jesus modeled to us and that we're to have in our marriage. It's taking ourselves out of the center, right? It's, it's saying no to me and, and yes to us, and I'm going to love and put the interest of the others above my own. And that's how we find true joy. That's how we find true happiness in marriage. It's saying no to self-centeredness. And saying yes to this selfless servant love that Jesus modeled to us. And the fourth and last thing as we close is I want you to see this. And this is so significant. It's found in Ephesians 5. Look at verse 21 again. Let's go back up to that. Look what he says. He says, be subject to one another in the fear of of Christ. We mentioned this verse earlier, and we see this idea of being subject to one another, this serving one another like, like Christ has served us, to put the interest of others before our own. But what he says right here is in the fear of Christ. We, we can't miss that. We can't miss that. This week, I, I was reading one of our online devotionals. One of our elders was writing on um, Psalm 130, and I was taken by a verse in there, verse 4. Verse four, and here's what it says. It says, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. It's the psalmist talking to the Lord, and he says, God, there's, there's forgiveness with you that you, God, may be feared. You see, it's only by forgiveness, it's only by the grace of God 
that you and I can even have a relationship with the Lord. And I think what the psalmist is saying here is that forgiveness and grace increases the fear of God. And so the fear of the Lord, I, I read that and I think, okay, so what's the fear of the Lord? It's, it's about relationship. And as I grow in, in understanding the forgiveness and the grace of God, I start growing in the understanding of what it means to fear God, what it means to know him. I grow closer to him. And so do you get the cycle here? It, as I grow in God's forgiveness and grace, I start growing more in fearing Christ. So I think that's key. Because how can we love each other? Church, how can we love our spouses and our marriages? How can we love the people in our path during this next week if we're not growing in the fear of God? And I think what Paul has in mind here, this idea in the fear of Christ and what the psalmist has in mind here is that our life would be so controlled by Jesus. I think that's what the fear of Christ also means to have our life so controlled by him, so influenced by him, that we become more overwhelmed with the greatness of his love, with the beauty of his grace. And we become so overwhelmed with that, we become controlled by it to where we start living like that. We start living like him. I think that's Paul's saying here. Be so overwhelmed with Jesus and the cross that it controls you to the point where you don't put the, your interest above others. Instead, you're putting the interest of others above your own. Oh, be so controlled to that point. And I think that's what he has in mind here. If anything else is a greater controlling influence, we will not be in position to serve others. We will not be in position to serve, but instead we'll be selfish. But the fear of Christ sets us free. It sets us free as we become more and more aware of him and his love and his grace toward us. It sets us free to be unselfish and to love others just like Paul is telling us to, just like Jesus loved the church. So today, we see the secret. It's, it's looking at the gospel and it's modeling it. It's becoming like Jesus became. He became a servant, he laid his life down. That's the secret to marriage, that we would live like that with one another. And the power behind that is the Holy Spirit. We've got to be filled with the Spirit. It's not easy to do. We can't do it on our own. It's by the Spirit. Thirdly, we can't let self raise up. It's easy to do. But we've got to be controlled by Christ. We've got to fear Christ. Grow in his forgiveness. Grow in knowing his grace so that we're led by him. This next couple of weeks, we want to continue to celebrate marriage. I want to celebrate it today. Um, and I pray this week, as you hear this word, that, that it excites you to say, yeah, you know what? This is the secret. I, I want to live this out. And, and I want to celebrate my marriage. And I want to not just... Ignore this word, because it's really easy to come in here and hear something that we've heard before. But I pray we hear this and receive this and say, yeah, you know what, God, thank you for my marriage, and I want to live it out this way. In the power of your spirit, I want to live it out this way. We pray for us.